0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. This is very important. I want to encourage you each week to bring a physical copy of the Bible. And the reason is, is because that's a way that you can just test me. Scripture says it's okay to do that when you hear God's Word talk. Test it to see if it's true, if it's what is written there, if it's what it said. And the reason that's important is because God's Word is the most important thing you could ever hear way more important than my words or something anyone else would say to you. The Word of God. So some of you have a physical copy. If not, a lot of you have it on your phone or a device. And if, if you don't have something like the Bible app, you can just uh, open uh, Google and just Google Romans chapter 6, colon, verse 15. So 6, colon, 15, and and you'll be able to follow along with us uh, in just a moment. And then I want to encourage you to find a way to record what God's teaching you in this moment. Because I've learned that the sharpest pencil Is better than my dull mind. I forget stuff. And and so I I like to jot down some of the nuggets of spiritual gold. So, Romans chapter six, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 15. I'm in this series called Brand New Me. And here's the premise all of us wish we could do better. (laughs) We wish we could be better in a lot of different ways. And that's why here in, in Tampa Bay, we're in a region that's kind of known for plastic surgery. I mean, there's a lot of effort uh, to, to try to get better. Uh, we're in a fitness area. We, we've, we're we in Tampa Bay. So we we try to stay fit to, to be better. We buy new outfits. But not just outwardly, inwardly, we desire to be different. We, we look in the spiritual mirror and we don't really like what we see. We wish things could be better than we are. We want a brand new me, a, a brand new us. And, and God promises that. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we've been singing. We're no longer the way we used to be. But does that mean that we're free to be any way we want to be? A- am I free to be me? That's kind of a mantra in society today, right? You be you. I'll be me. And so I can choose whatever I want. I can choose how I live. I can choose my identity. Shoot, I can even maybe choose my gender. That's what some people believe. Is that right? Is that spiritual? You know, there's a there's a Christian song that's even entitled Free to Be Me. And it's catchy. I I, I, I kind of I shake my head to this song. I mean, listen to the words. I got a couple dents in my fender. Got a couple rips in my jeans. Try to fit the pieces together. But perfection is my enemy. On my own, I'm so clumsy. But on your shoulders, I see that I'm free. I'm free to be me. I, I met Francesca Batticelli years ago before she became as known as she is today. And uh, man, she's so talented. And I, I like this catchy song that she sings. And I think I know what she means, that that I should look at myself in who I am in Christ. I, we learned that last week. I should change the way I see myself. But I, I still don't think I'd say it this way. I don't think I'm free to be What I want to be. I I don't think, according to scripture, you're just free to accept how you are or what you do and and say that I'm free to be me. So, we're going to look in the Bible because that's where we should test everything that we hear or or see or experience or feel. Remember, in in this space, we don't feel our way into believing, We, we believe our way into feeling. So, our beliefs are what's going to guide how we really feel about things. Um, so we're going to see, am I free to live how I choose? I, I'll give you a spoiler alert. You are in a sense. You're, I, I believe that's part of the image of God that you're created in. You have some free will. But you just need to understand that's going to affect the destiny of your life. The choices you, you make, you're, you're free to choose, but you're, you're not free to choose without the consequences that come with those. So, so here's the thing we're going to talk about today. In order to experience true freedom, you, you must pledge your allegiance to the one who set you free. And that is Jesus Christ. And I want to, I want to prove that to you from this passage of Scripture. Before we do that, I, I want to pray once more. And here's what I'm going to pray for you, and then you'll see what I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you that you see Jesus. That's how we began singing in this service. That's, that's our desire, that you encounter God that you have an openness in your ears and your eyes and your, your mind and, and especially in your heart. We're going to talk about that, that, that you encounter God as he desires to be seen, heard, and experienced. And then I'm going to pray for me that I get out of the way so that you can. All right, so let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for this day. It's the day you've made. We've rejoiced. We're glad in it. And yet we come into this room And we listen to this message having come from so many different walks of life. We carry different burdens. We have different challenges. And so we really don't need just what we get from one another, though that can sometimes be good. We need to hear from you. So Lord, speak. We're listening. Holy Spirit, move in this place, we pray. Jesus, let us see more of you. And oh God, would you move me out of the way. You and I know how clumsy I am and Lord, you know the fallen vessel that I am, but I pray that in these moments my words would be of you and my thoughts would be of you, and the end result would be what I read early this morning, that this is a day of salvation for someone. So God, I thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we are submitting to your comfort and your conviction even in this moment, and we do all of this, praying it in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, when we get to the end there's three things. I'm going to give you three options for how to respond. Everybody is going to respond in one of those three ways. So just be thinking about that so that when I ask you how you need to respond in a few minutes, you'll be ready. Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 15, halfway through the chapter. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. What's Paul getting at here? This sounds very familiar to Romans 6, verse 1, the way he began this passage of Scripture. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Romans chapter 6 really points back to the chapter right before that. And in in chapter 5, Paul ends by telling us that when we sin, we might sin again and again, but God's grace is not going to run out. God's grace is sufficient for you. Whatever you need, God's grace is sufficient. Isn't that great, church? That's His amazing grace. That's why we sing songs like that, because God's grace really is enough. It's marvelous grace, like we used to sing when I was growing up. But does that mean we can do whatever we want? That we, we just look at the law differently? <laughs> no. No. In in fact, this whole chapter is Paul's answer to that question. He's answering this question. You could say, if God is a God of grace, can't I do whatever I want to do? Be whoever I want to be? Live however I want to live without worrying about the consequences? Isn't that what grace is all about? The Bible says no to this again and again, not just in this chapter. For example, in Galatians chapter 5 and and verse 1, Paul reminds us it's freedom For freedom that Christ has set us free. So we should stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Or in verse 13 in that same chapter, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He explains why in his letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, in verse 19, he says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You're not free to be you. Why? Because you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, in Romans chapter 6, and verse 15, he begins by saying, hey, since there's grace, can we just do whatever we want to do? Am I free to be me? And he says, by all means, no. Or in other words, a thousand times no. Or absolutely not. And then he explains why. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one you obey. Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's saying every one of you. You follow one of two paths, no matter where you were born, the country, the setting, the environment, the, the family, and no matter what your head knowledge, you're going to go down one of two paths. And this is not foreign to us. Even people that are kind of loosely associated with the things of God have, have heard the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters, say no one. He goes on to say, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus is saying you've got two paths. You're going to choose which path. And then there's another great theologian who spoke to this. You might know his name, Bob Dylan. He, he said this, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But what? You're going to have to what? I believe more of you know Bob Dylan than that. You're going to have to serve somebody. There's two paths. And so he continues. And look at verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to righteousness. Listen to what happens here. The Apostle Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is writing this letter to a church, like this church. It's a church at Rome. And he's saying, you've been set free from sin and you don't have to live that way anymore. There can be a brand new you. And then all of a sudden he says, thank you, Lord. That's what should happen when you understand the gospel. Your life should be a living doxology A doxology of praise. Is it? As you go through life, do you find yourself saying, Man, I I can't believe you're letting me live. I can't believe your goodness to me. I, I, I can't believe how magnificent you are. Do you ever just go over to the coast and, and just look in the ocean and say, God, you were so good. Do you ever look up in the night sky and see the stars or the planets that you could even see just with the naked eye, just looking up into the sky? Do you ever say, God, I just praise you for who you are. That's what should happen. And it, it's what happens should, should happen more so when you think about what Jesus has done that he picked you up, that he turned you around, that he set your feet on solid ground, that he saved you, that you were lost, but now you're found, that you were headed to a destiny separated from him, but now you're promised that you can spend forever with him. If that truly happened, you want to sing praises to God. In fact, in fact, you may, rep- you, you may remember these words are you familiar with this? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's called the Doxology. Let's break out into praise right now. Let's do that, okay? You know this tune. If you do, just sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Yeah, that's us. Praise Him above thee. This is who we're praising. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Give Him praise in the house. Would you do that today, church? Does your faith make you want to praise God? If not, you may not understand, and so that's what Paul begins to say. He says, this is why I'm so thankful, and he describes for us the four stages of a Christ follower's life. Let me give you those four stages, and then we'll pray and go home in a few minutes. Number one, you were a slave to sin, and that's who you used to be. Say, I was a slave to sin. If you were a follower of Christ, that's who you used to be. No matter who you are, everyone who's ever lived was born with that same problem, the problem of sin. Do you know what sin is? It's simple. Sin is rebellion against God. It's not doing those things that he asked you to do, and it's doing those things that he said, hey, don't do that. Sin is trying to meet what very well may be legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. Sin is missing God's target, His standard. And the Bible says that we are all sinners. We're sinners. How do you know if you're still a slave to sin? Well, if you're a slave to sin, then you kind of willfully and habitually pursue those things we've just described. Those sins in your life. If you're not a slave to sin, you're still going to sin because we're not reaching perfection on this side of heaven. But when you sin, if, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you. And so it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. And, and so when you sin, you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And you say, whoa, something's not right. I'm out of balance. I got to get right. And you have this inward desire to confess that and make it right with God. So how about you? I, I want to remind you, we've learned we're not sinners because we sin. You're not a sinner based on how good you are or how bad you are. That's, that's not what made us a sinner. We sin because from the moment of our birth, we are sinners. It's not, it's not just what we do. It's who we are. And, and so if we're going to change, we don't just change what we do. We need God to change who we are Church, that's why we say thank you God when we think about the gospel because that's what the gospel does. He creates in us a new heart. We're new creations. We're new beings. He makes us new. That's what salvation is. He gives us a new identity. That's what happens when we trust Christ. I get a brand new me. That's how you get a brand new you. The reality is, you were a slave to sin. But then Paul mentions something else. He says, you had a heart change. i have got a pastor friend that just went through a heart transplant. A physical, that's hard for me to even imagine. That that, that can be done today. It, yet it is. It happens across, across the world. But as long as... The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been around. That's been happening in individual lives spiritually. We've had heart transplants. This is what you did. I want to remind you that the heart of the human problem is the problem of what? It's the human heart. You needed a new heart. And so look again at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. You see, when you become a follower of Christ, you begin to understand things differently, deeply within the heart. Before that moment, you're thinking, man, I'd never be a slave to sin. I'm never going to fall into that. I'll never mess up that much. And you haven't understood that it's a slow fade, it's a slippery slope. I had a good day yesterday. Most of my family was gathered together, and we grilled some brats for lunch, and we had football on the TV screen. We were just chilling. After lunch, I began to notice, man, the house kind of smells like brats, and so I, I lit some candles, and you know, we don't really get to experience fall, so it can smell like fall, right? So we have all these pumpkin spice candles in the house, and man... it it didn't smell like brats anymore, and we just chilled, and, and then we decided to work a little bit, so we, we went out in the yard, and I was cutting down some limbs, and that makes every man just feel more powerful when you got a powerful power tool in your hand, and the chainsaw, I was just cutting down some limbs, and everybody, was, we're dragging those limbs to the street and getting everything ready, and then one of my sons, he, he runs outside, and he says, there's a fire in the house. And so we dropped the chainsaw and we all go running inside and sure enough, one of those candles had gotten a little close to something and, and it had caught that on fire and it was kind of right next to a wall in the kitchen and it had started to catch that on fire. Thankfully, it didn't. Thankfully, we got there soon enough. But, but it was a mess. But let me just tell you something. When I was thinking to myself, self, the house kind of smells like brats. I didn't think, I think I'll start the house on fire. But that was the end result, right? That's what sin does in your life. You're a sinner. You didn't mean to be a sinner. That's who you are. So you go about sinning and you don't think it's a big deal until you find yourself a slave to sin. And when you find yourself a slave to sin, you need a new heart. So you've got to change your allegiance. That's what happens when you get a new heart. You turn from your sins, you follow Christ. It takes an 18-inch journey. It goes from, hey, I understand who Jesus is, to no, he's in control of me. Some of you have never done that. You're a good person, and you've got pretty good knowledge about who Jesus is, but, but it hasn't meant anything to you. And so you don't look like Jesus. Don't be surprised. Let me see if I can illustrate this. If I were to ask you, If you've ever heard of Abraham Lincoln, if you've heard of Abraham Lincoln, raise your hand. Okay, let's play a little game. All right, uh, did Abraham Lincoln have a job that was a significant job in the world? What was the title of that job? He was president of the United States. Okay, Did, did he have any big accomplishments as president of the United States? Just shout it out to me. Yeah, well, he gave the Gettysburg Address, I heard. He, he abolished slavery. Hello, the Emancipation Proclamation, a big deal. Oh, um, does anybody know how Abraham Lincoln died? He was shot. He was. A, I'm just telling you, you are virtual scholars about Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you could write a book about him. But hey, is anybody placed their life trust into Abraham Lincoln? No, how silly would that be? He was a historical figure. He was really alive, but he's not doing anything for you today. I mean, we might have some of the benefits of his life, but... And see, some of you, that's the way you've treated Jesus. You believe he was real. You even say, yeah, mama, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. I intellectually understand that. But you've not taken that journey where you've given him control of your your heart, and and you've pledged your allegiance to Him. You're still committed to your desires, not His desires. You're living according to your plans and the path that you've set out, not what He's got planned for you. I want to make something perfectly clear. You don't need your way plus Jesus. You don't need your way plus behavior modification. You don't need your way plus a makeover so you look different on the outside. You need a new you. And the only way you get a new heart, a new you, is by getting a new heart. And the only way you get a new heart is by entrusting your heart to Jesus Christ. You need to give Christ your heart. I was thinking about this and it just hit me. That's, that's what happens in a marriage, right? When a couple stands before me and they commit their life to one another... I don't think they leave the church or the place they were married and then then go out and look at each other and say, Hey, now you know those were just some words. I don't think that husband says, I can still do what I want to do and 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 be with who I want to be with. And that that's not a marriage. No, there's a understanding, there's a recognition that that when When you made that vow and you put that ring on my finger, your allegiance has changed. You're not just free for the world. You belong to me. Your loyalty, your love, your allegiance is just to me. That's what happens when you follow Christ. And, and that's why so many of you have never really understood what it means to be a Christ follower because you just said a prayer or you raised a hand or you walked down an aisle, but there was no change of allegiance in your life. When you follow Christ, you understand that I was a slave to sin but now I've, I've had a heart change so what's the result of that it's that third step you've been set free you've been set free this is what happens to you you're no longer a slave to sin you're free indeed free indeed thank you God Almighty I'm free indeed maybe if, if you know that you've yielded your life to Christ Maybe you would just take a moment and say, God, I know I'm free. Just say, I am free. So now, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm I'm free to just do whatever I want? Am I free to be me? Is that what this is all about? God painted a picture of this all throughout His Word. And so when we look at the children of Israel we see what salvation is like and what it can look like. So let's see how much you remember the story. The children of Israel were enslaved where? In Egypt, there was an evil pharaoh that was kind of making them slaves. God sent somebody. His name was Moses. Moses went to the pharaoh and he said let my people go. Y'all listened in Sunday School or VBS. And and so eventually, after a a long rigmarole, uh, the Pharaoh lets them go, at least for a moment. And and so they head out, and then we have the the Red Sea experience, and and then the people are journeying toward where? Where Where's their goal? The promised land. But a crazy thing happens. They stop following God. And so these Former slaves who are now free and have been guaranteed the promised land. Most of them, those who are adults when that began, they never see it. Why? Because they acted like they were still slaves. They were depending on doing things their way rather than looking to God. And so they, they spent 40 years just wandering around the wilderness follow me. Some of you, you've made some kind of spiritual step. You heard the good news of the gospel and you thought, man, that makes sense. That's good for me. I understand it up here. And so again, you raised your hand or you walked down an aisle. You may have been dipped or dunked or or you joined a church, but you never gave the allegiance of your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've called yourself a Christian and you're wondering, why does it feel like I'm in the wilderness?" And yet when you really evaluate, you would say, I don't think I'm following after the things of God. You see, the fourth stage kind of puts together all these other three. I I was a slave to sin, but I, I had a heart change. And because I had a heart change, now I am free. But what am I free to? Not free to be me. I am a slave to righteousness, is what Paul says. You're a slave to righteousness. This is what you've become. So you're no longer pursuing your sin and your selfish desires, you're pursuing holiness and the desires of God. And so that makes that paradox that we begin the message with. In order to experience true freedom, you have to pledge your allegiance to the one who set you free. It's Jesus Christ. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean that I can just do anything I want. Freedom in Christ means that I have chosen to be loyal to him it has been a change of allegiance. So again, I, I think about the marriage vow. And uh, the most recent uh, marriage I performed was just last week. It was Lenny and Jesse. And um, they, they stood before each other. And they, I, this is what I say. Uh, hey, Lenny, take, and, take Jesse's hands and, and put them in yours. Just look into her eyes for a second. They just look into each other's eyes. Not long before that, I, I married Derek and Carly. Same thing, just look into each other's eyes. And then I would say, now, now, Lenny, if these words express the desires of your heart and you intend to keep these vows for the rest of your life, repeat after me. I remember when I did that, and so I'm gonna use my name. So it would be like me saying, I, Paul, promise to take you Kimberly. To be my lawfully wedded wife. I promise to love and to honor. To comfort and cherish. In sickness and in health. In poverty and in wealth. Forsaking all others. Keeping only to you. As long as we both shall live. See when a couple makes those vows. That's, you know there's no such thing as crossing your fingers. You don't make those vows until the going gets tough, right? Now that's a lifetime commitment. And so if you're going to follow Christ, you don't just say, I'm going to run to Jesus just because I want fire insurance and I'm scared of hell in the moment. No. You follow after him because you say, Hey, for the rest of my life, this is going to be my priority. This is what's going to guide me. This is going to be my master. I now willfully move out of this position of slavery to sin that was controlling me and leading to death in my life. And now I'm willfully moving into slavery to righteousness because I know the life that God has planned for me is so much better than anything I could do for myself. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So then to end this chapter, I just want to read through this quickly. Paul, he states the obvious. So listen to what he says. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So just a reminder, sometimes we have these divine truths describing a divine transaction that seem kind of mind-boggling to us. This, This analogy of slavery, if we just focus on just that word slavery... Because of all that that has meant, even in this nation's history, that's going to be hard for us to understand. So what is he saying? Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to do ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourself to slaves to righteousness which lead to holiness. So lean into grace is what he's saying. Yield to the grace of God on a conscious and consistent basis. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Let me explain that in a way you can understand it. How many of you would be as bold as me to say, man, there are some times where I I sinned, I violated the law of God, and there was pleasure for a season. But I, I, I look back at the consequence, and it was not worth it. Anybody else got any story like that in your life? Yeah. So what he's saying is, how's that working out for you, big boy? How's that going, young lady? You've tried it your way. What's the benefit? What's the fruit? And then he says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit or the fruit, it leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. So now that you're following Christ... There's fruit in your life, true. In Galatians in chapter 5, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Those characteristics that represent Jesus that we look like. So here's a question for you. When's the last time someone's looked at you and said, Man, I don't know what you're doing, but that's what a Christian's supposed to look like. And that's not what we're known for. I think this is a cop-out, but you and I know the number one reason our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates don't come to church. They say it's because of the hypocrites. What they're saying is, you don't look like what it seems like Christians should look like. And what Paul's saying is, is when you voluntarily say, God, you are transforming me. I give you my heart. I'm going to lean into grace. You begin to look like what a Christian should look like. How's that going for you? If God made you new, why do you keep running after the old you? Leave the past in the past. You've been given a new life, a new name, a new beginning. And you should leave those old things, that old life, those old ways. They lead to death. And that's what sin always does. We could dive into this theologically, but just go back to the beginning of the book. God told Adam and Eve, you can do anything you want, just don't do this one thing. What do they do? The one thing. And what, did, what was the punishment? There were, there were several layers of this, but what was the punishment of this? You will surely die. And so all throughout the Bible, that's like the second page. So all throughout the rest of the Bible, we have this story of people trying to deal with their sin on their own, but finding out the end result is always death. So I'm reading through a certain plan in the Bible. This week I was in Ezekiel. Did you know in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20 it says, the one who sins is the one who will die. Death is always the result of sin, but that's not what God desires for you. In that same chapter in Ezekiel, I noticed earlier this week, it said, Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed to get a new heart and a new spirit. That sounds familiar, right? Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God wants a brand new you. God wants to give you a new name. God wants to give you a new life. God wants to give you a fresh start. God wants to give you a new beginning. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come just for you to be religious, just for you to have one moment in time. He came so that you could be transformed. That's what it said in chapter five. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. And when we continue to do the things that we feel like we can do because of the liberty we say we have or because of the freedom we say we have or because of the grace we say we experience, we're not only cheapening grace, we're cheapening the price that Jesus paid to give us grace. So, here's a fun question. Well, it's not really fun, is it? What's in your past that Jesus died for that you keep trying to bring back? What's that old Jew that he said, leave that out by the curb with the trash? But you keep trying to bring it back into your life. You see, when you turn to Jesus, you turn to him. I I wish I could read this whole story, but in Luke chapter 9, Jesus looks at a man. He says, follow me. Remember what the man said? He said, sure, uh, let me go bury my father. Like, translation, my daddy is dead. I just want to go to his funeral. I remember hearing that verse as a child and thinking, well, that makes sense. I think I'd want to do the same thing. And and Jesus said, you remember what he said? It's a famous quote of Jesus. Let the dead bury the dead. What in the world? Jesus, that's kind of harsh. But then right after that, he turns to another guy and he says, follow me. And the guy says, okay, let me go tell my family bye." (laughs) And Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way. You've got to put your head to the plow. You've got to charge ahead. Man, doesn't that sound harsh, Jesus? What's the point? Here's the point. Jesus is saying, when I decide to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. If I really understand this, if I really get the gospel, if I realize I was a slave, but I had a heart change, and that heart change means I'm no longer a slave, I'm free, but I'm not just free to be me, I'm a slave to God and his righteousness, and if I truly understand that, why would I go back to the old way? That's the point of this passage. Stop pursuing the things that lead you to death, because Jesus died to give you life. And so he closes this chapter with a verse that's one of the more familiar verses in Romans in the Bible. It's Romans 6.23. Listen to this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. does that mean? All right. If I try to deal with this my way, I'm going to get what I deserve. There's a famous sermon that a preacher who's now dead preached. It's called Payday Someday. And the whole principle is there's going to be a payday someday. If I live my life my way, I'm going to have to pay the price. That's the wage. A life controlled by sin and self will always lead to death. That's what I get paid. Separation from God. But God has a better plan. He wants to give me, as a gift, forever life. Never separated from his presence. Always with him. And we choose. And that's what makes this outrageous. Because some of us, we look at that offer and we say, no, thank you. We got the law over here. We're trying to live up to. We've got God's mercy. He gave us another do day, and then we got this incredible gift, and we keep walking away from the gift, the life that He's created us for. <laughs> I was thinking about this week. How do I illustrate that? And I got off two seventy five and was coming down Bush Boulevard, and I kind of got a wild hair, and I thought, man. What if I was driving down, Bush, driving down Bush Boulevard? That can be dangerous in any time of day. But, but let's, let's decide. I'm driving down it, and I just decided I've, I've got to get home fast. So I put the pedal to the metal, and I just take off. And um, let, let's say I, I managed somehow. I'm swerving between lanes. I don't hit anybody. Nobody hits me. I, I run red lights. Everything's going great. I've hit 120 miles an hour. By the way, for my law enforcement friends, this is just a fictional story. I'm 120 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, I see those lights in my rearview mirror. So I pull over, and I recognize it's my friend Wayne, Deputy Wayne. He says, Pastor. I'm like, hey, Wayne. He's like, what's up? I'm like, "Wow, I was trying to get to the hospital. Somebody's really, really sick. Now, there's three scenarios here. Uh, I could just deal with the law, right? Because under the law, no telling what would happen in that situation. I imagine I would be handcuffed and taken to jail. I'd be arrested. At the very least, I'd have more penalties and fines and tickets than I could ever pay. And my license would probably be suspended. That's the law. But this is Deputy Wayne. (laughs) Suppose he gave me mercy. See, mercy is when you get what you don't deserve. And so, um, suppose Wayne said, you know, Pastor... Hey, there's no way I can let you out of this, but I mean, you do have an important job, and you got to go see those people in the hospital. I didn't know the hospital was this way, but okay. Um, but um, hey, in, instead of all that could happen, I, I'm just going to give you a, a ticket for $250. I mean, that would still be a ticket, but that would be mercy. But, but suppose Wayne said, Pastor, man, Kind of shocked to see you here in in this circumstances, but I'm gonna tell you, that was very dangerous, particularly in your car. What you need, you need a brand new Tesla. (laughs) And I've got one for you. Here's the key fob, it's your gift. Now that sounds outrageous, doesn't it? How in the world could that possibly happen? Who would do that? And who in their right mind would say, oh, wait, no. Just take me to jail. (laughs) Who would even say, I'll just pay that smaller ticket? No, you would say, this gift, this indescribable gift that I don't deserve. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what God gives you in salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your death. When he offers you forgiveness, it's in grace. It's in a gift that you don't deserve more than you could ever imagine that he says, hey, instead of death, why don't you just hang out with me forever and ever and ever. But in order to experience true freedom, you've got to pledge your allegiance. To the one who set you free. So where's your allegiance today? I was reading what Chuck Swindoll wrote about this passage, and I love two things he said. He, he said, "You know, it's possible to be a slave to something and think you've been set free." So really, what I want you to evaluate—we're getting to that point where I said you're going to have some responses. Uh, are are you a, a slave to sin today? He said it's also possible to be free and think you're enslaved. So some of you know that you've got this relationship with Christ. You know what he's done for you. You've trusted him, but you're not walking in the freedom that he's offered. So what are you going to do? Well, first you've you've just got to ask your question. Am I free? Where's my allegiance? Do Do you know how many people have given their heart to Christ after reading passages like what we've just read? The book of Romans in the Bible. And it's like a light bulb comes on. Our our Charles and John Wesley said it was like we were being strangely warmed. Charles Wesley was very religious. He and his brother came to the state of Georgia to evangelize the American Indians, but they wrote on their journey, we've come to evangelize the Indians, but who in the world will evangelize us? They recognized they were going through the motions. When they came back to England, they both later got saved. And Charles Wesley, among the thousands of hymns that he wrote, wrote these words. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That's what it means to be free. So three, three responses. The... The first response there's some of you here, some of you in this room, some of you listening to my voice that you need to say, man, it's not that I'm a terrible person. It's not that I intended to do this, but I've never truly, I've never truly pledged the allegiance of my heart to Christ. I need to be set free. And I'm going to walk you through that in a minute. But there's some of you, you know you're going to heaven. You know you've got a relationship with Christ. But man, when people look at you, they're not saying, "Now that's what a Christian looks like. And so for you, I'm just saying make a commitment today. We call it a recommitment in your faith and lean into grace. Just say, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to commit this week to represent Jesus well in my little corner of the world. By his grace and with his strength, you can do that. But there's a third group of you, and and you're thinking, man, Paul, I I feel like I'm at a pretty good spot spiritually. Praise the Lord, that's okay. We're we're not always doing bad things and, and living rough. So what is your response? Your response is to remember that there are a lot of captives out there that need to be set free. There are a lot of people that are around you, their classmates, their co-workers, their neighbors, their family members, and they need to hear what you've heard, what you've experienced, what's been applied to your life. When we were growing up, we sang a hymn that said, so send I you. This is one of the verses. So send I you to take to souls in bondage the word of truth that sets the captive free to break the bonds of sin To loose death's feathers, so send I you to bring the lost to me. If you've got a relationship with Christ and you feel like you're representing him well, man, make sure you understood that you weren't saved just to sit, but he saved you to send you. Go make a difference for his glory. Let's bow our heads, okay? And this is pretty serious stuff, isn't it? So I think every one of us, has one of those three responses. Either we walk away saying, I need to be saved. Or we walk away saying, I need to be sanctified a little more. Need to look more like Jesus. Or we walk away saying, I need to be sent. Which category are you in? Just a moment after I pray, we're going to kind of breathe in some worship We'll close the service shortly thereafter that but don't leave without responding to God with what he's saying let me speak specifically to those of you that need to be saved you just need to tell God that you're ready to get this right once and for all what he did for you he did once and for all when you take this step when you truly take this step you just do it once for all so you ready you need to do that maybe right now you would just pray this say dear Jesus just you and him dear Jesus Let's just acknowledge the truth. I am a slave to sin. Just tell him, I'm a slave to sin. I know it. I know this will lead to death. That's the end result if things are unchanged. Now, here's the good news. Tell him, I believe you died for me. Remember, he died for you out of his love? I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today, Jesus. So here I am. Let's just say it this way today. Say, I give you my heart. I pledge my allegiance to you. From this day on, I'm following you. I tell him thank you, right where you are. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Now listen, I can't be inside your heart and mind. I don't, I don't know what's real and what's emotional. What's Here's what I know. What I just walked you through is really what the Bible says it takes for a person to begin that relationship with Christ. Our heads are still bowed, our eyes are closed, but if you just prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'm going to ask no one but me look around, but I just want to welcome you to God's family. If you just did that right where you're seated, would you just lift your hand up and just let me say welcome to God's family? Welcome to God's family, sir. Others of you that did that today, just lifting up your hand. Welcome to God's family there, ma'am. Welcome to God's family. Others, sir, welcome to God's family. That's awesome. It's the most important thing you could ever do. I'm going to pray and And then I just want us just to sit for a moment and breathe in this worship that you're going to hear. Think about this passage of Scripture that that we're applying to our lives. Ask God, which, which of these responses? If I'm saved, I either need to be sanctified or be sent. Ultimately, we all need to be sent. So where are you in this journey? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would move in this time of worship, that you would speak as only you can. And Lord, that the words of this song would begin to apply to our lives as we continue to worship you in Jesus name Amen